Welcome to the Restoration Church Weekly Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you are inspired by today's podcast to pursue your God-given calling to reach just one more. Thanks for listening. Good morning. I am excited to be here this morning. I'm excited to be here. Uh, For those that don't know who I am, Pastor Jeremy just introduced me. My name is Travis. I am the district youth director. Uh, My wife, Erin, is here with me, as well as our newborn son, Noah. Super excited about that. Um. It's just a blessing. It's always a blessing to be with family. It's always a blessing to be with Restoration. I want to also welcome uh, Bethlehem, Milton, Plymouth, and anyone that's watching online. I'm excited to jump into week two of Villains. As you know, last week, we launched this series in a pretty epic way, right? Uh, We had Fair Food Sunday. How many of you enjoyed Fair Food Sunday? Not that many. That's kind of shocking. I thought it was a blast. I was going to start a petition to do it every Sunday, but if you don't enjoy it, we won't do that. Um, no, it was, it was a great Sunday. Um, I unfortunately had to miss it, uh, but from what I saw, uh, and I asked someone to save me some fried dough. They didn't. That's okay. I'm not bitter at all. Um, but as you know, we are in a series called Villains where we are looking at a fictional Disney villain uh, each week, uh, and we are examining them, and then bringing it to the Bible to find biblical truths and historical biblical villains. Uh, and you know, I know sometimes when people do series like this, some people, they're, they're like, just focus on the Bible. You know, we, we don't need you to use real world stuff. Just focus on the Bible. The Bible can stand true. And I 100% agree with that. However, what I would also push back and say is if you read the New Testament, if you read Jesus's teachings, he used real world examples every time he taught. Uh, and so that's all we're doing. Just like Jesus used parables, that's what we're doing. We're, we're taking biblical truths and real world uh, fictional uh, examples and bringing them together, just like Pastor Jeremy said, so that maybe next time you're watching a movie, next time you're watching some of these movies, maybe think to yourself, oh, I can see the biblical truths in this. I, God can speak to me through this. And so that's what we're doing this morning. When Pastor Nate reached out and asked if I'd be willing to speak, uh, I obviously said yes. Very rarely do I ever say no to that man. Um, it's very hard for me to say no to that man. Uh, I think some other people in this room can probably agree with that. Uh, but that's just out of love. I, I want to say yes to him every time I can. So when he reached out and asked me to speak, I said yes. And then he told me, hey, it's the villain series. And I was super excited. But then I got a little nervous because I'm the kind of guy, all right, I'll, I'll get some hate for this probably, but I'm the kind of guy, well, I'll watch a movie, let's say Peter Pan, and I'll get to the end of it and I'll be like, no, no, Captain Hook was the good guy. Ca- Captain Hook was just misunderstood. I'll watch 101 Dalmatians and go, oh, Cruella de Vil? No, like, like she actually loves those puppies so much she just wants to wear them. That's all it is. 
Like, like she's, not, she's, not, she's not a villain. You know? And so I was nervous whenever he said, hey, you're going to have to talk about a villain, because I was like, what if I sympathize with this villain? What if I look at this villain and I'm like, that's actually a good guy. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but he told me who my villain was, and I said, okay, nope, this is easy. Like, this is probably, in my opinion, one of the biggest villains in Disney history uh, in, in all of their movies. Uh, and we are talking on Jafar from the movie Aladdin this morning. Uh, Jafar is probably one of the biggest villains. Personally, I think so because, you know, sometimes people become villains because, you know, of life circumstances. Or they become villains because maybe they're just misunderstood. I really do think Captain Hook's a misunderstood villain. I think he's a nice guy. Uh, but Jafar is just evil. Like, he's just evil for evil's sake. There's nothing, like, redeeming about him. There's nothing. Like, he is just an evil villain. And so when he gave me Jafar, I was like, okay, I got this. And then as, as we were talking through, like, you know, who, who is the equivalent in the Bible, if you, if you watch the, the, the movie Aladdin and then you, you look through the Bible, there's one book of the Bible that really kind of stands out. Uh, and you, you can find similarities with almost every character uh, in the movie Aladdin as well as in this one biblical book. And that's the biblical book of Esther. So, so we're going to be throughout Esther this morning, uh, but we're going to be looking at the, the villain, uh, the biblical villain of Haman. So those are going to be the two we focus on, all right? The fictional villain will be Jafar, and then the biblical villain, the true historical villain, will be Haman. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to them. Uh, I, I think we'll see as we, we go throughout this morning just how alike they really are. Um, but I, I want to bring you to when Haman is first introduced. Before we even get into Jafar, I, I want to... I want to talk about Haman, because that's really the focus point, right? And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Esther chapter 3, verse 1. This is the moment that Haman is first introduced. All right, it says this in uh, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agite, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. As I said, we're, we're going to jump into some of the stuff that makes Haman Haman and, 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 and the things we can learn from him and, and, and hopefully correct in our own lives. But before we get into any of that, uh, I want to focus on, on this one key word in this verse. It says that Haman was an agite. Now, last week, Pastor Nate talked about Lotso the bear and King Saul. And in, in King Saul's story, he mentioned about how King Saul disobeyed God and, and the prophet Samuel. He says, hey, go kill everything. Take, take it all out. But he left one remaining person alive. And that was King Agag. And, and it was full disobedience into God. And, and, and what I want to point out, just a brief moment, is in that moment, when, when, when King Saul said, hey, I'm going to do this, this thing because this is what I feel is right. I, I'm going to do this one thing. It's only going to affect me. It's not going to affect anyone else. What we find is it did affect many generations to come because now we're looking several books later, several years later, several de generations later, and here we have another biblical villain who is an, an Agite, which is a descendant of Agag. 
And so the decision Saul made hundreds of years prior is, is now haunting generations later. And so I, I, you know, I just find that interesting. We talked about it last week. We're moving on to this villain this week. And it, it's very, very uh, specific that we look at that because sometimes we think we make a decision and it only affects us. But what we don't know is that it affects our, our children and their children and so on and so forth. And so, as I said, we're looking at uh, Haman, who in, in this verse one, it says that he was over all the other nobles. King Xerxes promoted him. He had all the power and all the riches in the land. Aside from the king himself, Haman was the most powerful man in the land. Now, when we're introduced to Jafar, we're not really introduced to him. Uh, he's, he's just kind of there in the movie Aladdin. And, but what we quickly learn is Jafar is the sultan's right-hand man. He's second in command. Uh, the sultan trusts Jafar, and he is the most powerful man in Agrabah, uh, aside from the sultan himself. And so you, you have these two personalities that are already powerful men. But these men had everything that they could have ever wanted Many of us in this room would say, hey, if I could just have a sliver of what they have, I'll be happy. They had all the power, all the riches. Unfortunately, both men chose to focus on what they didn't have. Check this out. I don't know where she gets it from. Her mother wasn't nearly so picky. Ooh, ah, Jafar, my most Trusted advisor, I am in desperate need of your wisdom. My life is but to serve you, my lord. It's this suitor business. Jasmine refuses to choose her husband. I'm at my wit's end. Ah, wit's end! Uh, oh, <laughs> have a cracker, pretty Polly. <laughs> your majesty certainly has a way with dumb... I don't know where she gets it, <laughs> Your majesty certainly has a way with dumb animals. <clears throat> now then, perhaps I can divine a solution to this thorny problem. If anyone can help, it's you. But it uh, would require the use of a mystic blue diamond. Oh, uh, my ring? But it's been in the family for years. It is necessary to find the princess a suitor. Don't worry. Everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. The diamond. Here, Jafar. Whatever you need will be fine. You are most gracious, my liege. Now, run along and play with your little toys. Hmm? Yeah. That will be pretty good. If I gotta choke down on one more of those moldy, disgusting crackers, bam! Whack! Calm yourself, Take Yago. Take another grammar on the head. Soon I will be sultan, not that adult-painted twitch. And then I stop the crackers down his throat. <laughs> so there you have it. You have Jafar, who is really the, the, the second most powerful man in, in all of Agrabah, but he wants more. 
right? He, he, he comes up to the sultan. He hypnotizes the sultan and, and he steals the ring because he believes that ring will give him the, the, the power he needs to become sultan. He, he doesn't care about being the second most powerful man in Agrabah. He wants to be sultan and he'll do whatever it takes to get there. And that's really the, the kind of the first thing that, that we learn about both Jafar and Haman is they could not be happy with what they had. They focused more on what they didn't have. And so Jafar focused on not being sultan. He wanted to be sultan. But, but, but what did his biblical equivalent, what, what did Haman focus on? Esther 3.2, right after Haman is introduced, says all the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by. For so the king had commanded, but Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Just a, a, a quick side note, Mordecai is the, the uncle of, of Esther, who the entire book of Esther is about. We're, we're, we don't really focus on Esther this morning, uh, and it's, it's a, a little different for me to preach out of the book of Esther and not really talk about Esther. She's a very central part. But I think we can learn a whole lot from just Haman and, and, and his interaction with Mordecai. And so here we have it. Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman. Now, everyone else did. Haman is the, the second most powerful man in, in the land. Everyone's bowing down to him except for Mordecai. And so what does Haman decide to do? He decides to focus on what he doesn't have, which is Mordecai's respect and Mordecai bowing down, and he, and, he, and he focuses on that. And too often we get caught up in our lives and, and, and we get caught up focusing on those things that we don't have. If, if we skip ahead to Esther 5, verses 11 through 13, it says, And he boasted to them, being his wife and his friends, about his great wealth and his many children. He, he bragged about the honors the king had given him and how he had been promoted over all the other nobles and officials. Then Haman added, and that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet she prepared for us. And she has invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. Then he added, but this is all worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there at the palace gate. He says, I have all the riches. I have all the power. I, I, I am being invited to a banquet with just me, the king, and the queen. I, I, am, I am one of the most powerful men alive right now, but it all means nothing because Mordecai won't bow down to me. He is so focused on this little piece that he doesn't have that he discounts all that he has. And I think sometimes we look at that and we can think like, dude's out of his mind, makes no sense. But if we really, really examine our own lives, I think some of us in this room, if not all of us, can do this at times. God's blessing us, but we're so focused on that promotion at work. Why aren't we getting that promotion? Why do they keep bypassing me? God's blessing us, but we're so focused on the Johnson's new car in their driveway. Why, why can't I have that car like that? God's blessing us, but we're so focused on these little things that we don't have. Some of you know my personal story and my wife's story. Uh, I've shared it a few times. If you're new to restoration, my wife and I started trying to have a child about three years ago, and it wasn't up until this past December that we were able to get pregnant. Now, as you know, we do have a son, and God has blessed us 
But when, it, when, when that journey first started, I would, I would just get angry. I'd get upset. God, God's blessing me. I've got a beautiful wife that loves me, and I love her. We get to travel. I, I get to basically live my dream job. God has blessed me beyond measure. But all I could focus on was this one little piece that God wasn't giving me. And that's all I focused on. That's all that consumed me. And I let it make me unhappy. I couldn't be content in what God had given me. I focused on all that God had not given me, whether it be influence, whether it be, but in this case, it was a child. Now, here's the problem with Haman and Jafar and, and, and so many of us, when we focus on what we don't have, is when we get that, say we get what we don't have, all of a sudden, we, we, we get that one thing we want. We wanted that promotion. We wanted that car. We wanted money. We wanted fame. We get that. And all of a sudden, there's something else. There's something else out there that's not making us happy. There's something else that's grabbing our attention. You know, God blessed me with a son. And if I'm being honest on that first night, when I got home and he wouldn't sleep, all I could focus on was how I didn't have any sleep. And I'm like, God's blessed me with, with the thing I've been longing for, but I was ready to find the receipt and go to the hospital and see if they took returns. Not really, but there was a part of me that was like, maybe. Uh, but it happens. We, we, we get that thing that, that we're searching for, and all of a sudden, there's something else that we don't have. Newsflash. There is always going to be something you don't have. That's why Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 6 is so, so true. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. We have to stop focusing on what we don't have and stop focusing on what God has blessed us with and thank him for what he's already done and believing that he's going to do more. It's not up to us what God does in our lives. It's up to him. And the more we focus on what we don't have, the more we focus on, on these little things, the more it's going to consume us. We'll see that it's, if we're not careful, if, if we keep focusing, if we keep searching for, for that one little piece that we don't have, we're going to end up just like Haman. We're going to end up just like Jafar. You know, Al, I'm getting really... I don't think you're him. Tonight, the part of Al will be played by a tall, dark, and sinister, ugly man. <laughs> I am your master now. I'm afraid of that. Genie, grant me my first wish. I wish to rule on high as Sultan. Where's my son? What is it? What's going on? You vile betrayer! That salted vile betrayer to you! Oh yeah? We'll just see about that. <laughs> Finders keepers, Abu. I got a new master now. Uh, I order you to stop. Ah, but there's a new order now. My order. Finally, 
You will bow to me. We will never bow to you. Why am I not surprised? If you don't bow before a sultan, then you will cower before a sorcerer. Genie, my second wish. I wish to be the most powerful sorcerer in the world. Now, where were we? Ah, yes. Abject humiliation. <laughs> it's clear that Jafar only cares about Jafar, right? I mean, that, that it's clear as day. He doesn't care about Iago. He doesn't, he, he doesn't care about Agrabah. He just cares about Jafar. And so... In the first clip we saw, he, he wanted the ring to become sultan. Well, that wasn't enough, so he, cha he chases down and uh, finds the magic lamp that Aladdin has, steals it, and, and takes control over the genie. <clears throat> the very first thing he tells the genie is, I want to be sultan. Make me sultan. So he becomes sultan. This is the thing he's, he's wanted, right? But just like I said, once you get what, what you don't have, all of a sudden there's something else that you don't have. And so he becomes sultan, but still the sultan and, and Princess Jasmine won't bow down to him. And so he says, fine, you won't bow down to me. Genie, make me the most powerful sorcerer in the world. And so the genie does what he has to, and he makes him the most powerful sorcerer in the world, and he makes them bow down. Jafar is constantly chasing after something. He wants more and more and more. It's a very selfish mentality, but it's a mentality that we see Haman take, and it's a mentality that some of us can fall into at times. Because what we see with Haman, he was no different. He was continually searching and chasing that which, which he didn't have. He, he, he wanted Mordecai to bow down to him. The, the, the more we get into Esther, the, the more we, we read throughout the, entire, in the entirety of the book, is he, he finds that Mordecai is a Jew, and he won't settle just for Mordecai to die. He wants the entire Jewish people to perish because he, he, he's not selling just for, for that first thing that he wants. He wants more and more and more. So, so why do men like Jafar and, and, and men like Haman act in these ways? Why do we sometimes find ourselves acting in these selfish ways, expecting more and more to come to us? I, I think the biggest thing that we see and, and we can see this play out in Haman's life specifically. But I think the biggest thing that we see is, is their pride. They're so prideful of themselves. They believe in themselves so great. They believe that they should be the greatest, that they deserve everything that's coming to them, that they deserve to be the, the, the strongest, that they deserve to be the most powerful. And that the pride begins to cloud their judgment. Their pride begins to deteriorate their character. Now, one could argue Jafar didn't have any to begin with, but they begin to change. It begins to mold them. It begins to shape them. And, and we see it happen with, with, with Haman. His pride was seen time and time again. But I, th I think the, the clearest point that we see his pride come into play is in Esther chapter six. You see, before we're even introduced to Haman in the book of Esther, in Esther chapter two, we, we see something play out with Mordecai. And Mordecai 
who is a humble servant of the king, a humble man of God, wanting nothing but to serve, he hears two men plotting to assassinate the king. And so, so Mordecai goes and he tells the king what these men are planning on doing, ultimately saving the king's life. And so the king knows that he has to repay Mordecai. But when we fast forward to chapter six, the king realizes that he has not repaid Mordecai for this jester. He, he hasn't repaid Mordecai for saving his life. And so we jump into chapter six, verse six, when, when the, the king calls Haman to his, in, into his chambers. And verse six says this. So Haman came in and the king said, what should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Now, Haman thought to himself, whom would the king wish to honor more than me? If, so, so he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden on, one with a royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials, and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in all of the king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the official shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Excellent, the king said to Haman. Quick, take the robes and my horse and do just as you said for Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the gate of the palace. Leave out nothing you have suggested. So we see the pride in Haman's life, right? The king says, hey, what should I do for someone that, that really like makes me happy? Someone who truly pleases me. What, what should I do for them? And Haman, being prideful, says, look, there is no one that, that brings more pride to the king than me. If he's going to honor anyone, he's going to honor me. So, so Haman comes up with this idea and says, you should, you should do all these things. Lay out the red carpet. You know, he needs to be the most powerful, the most honored man in all the city. And the king says, okay, great. You're right. hundred percent. Now go do that for Mordecai. And you can imagine the blow that that was to Haman. Just a gut punch, right? Like, no, 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 no. I wanted that for me. I definitely didn't want that for Mordecai of all people. Remember, Mordecai is someone that he wants to die. He wants to execute. He wants to get rid of. He wants to get rid of all the Jewish people. And so now, due to his pride, he has to do the very thing that he expected for himself for that which he despises. One of the many main issues we focus on when, when, when we don't have something is the, is the pride that comes along with it. That's really the, the root of it. Is, is the pride that sets in our heart of, I deserve this. You know, I, I think I shared when, when we were struggling to, to get pregnant, I, I had this feeling of, I deserve this. I've sacrificed so much to follow God. I've sacrificed so much to, I, I've left my family. God, I deserve this. And that's nothing but pride in our lives. When we think we deserve a promotion, when we think we deserve anything from God, there's a pride issue in our lives. Jafar was prideful. He just wanted more and more and more. Haman believed he deserved to be honored more than anyone in the land. Their pride consumed them. I think some of us can find ourselves in situations wondering why it feels like God is just kind of pushing back on us. You want a promotion, but it just seems like God is taking more and more from you. 
you, you want to be wealthy, you want fame, but it just seems like he's asking you to sacrifice more and more and more. First Peter 5, 5 is, is clear when it says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There, there's no room for pride in the kingdom of heaven. There's no room for pride in our walk with Christ. If, if we want to succeed, if, if, if we want to make this Christian life all that it can be, humility has to be at the center of it all. If we aren't careful, the pride will fester. The pride will consume us until ultimately the pride in our lives becomes the very thing that destroys us in the end. Without the genie, boy, you're nothing. The genie. The genie. The genie has more power than you'll ever have. What? He gave you your power. He could take it away. Al, what are you doing? Why are you bringing me into this? Face it, Jafar. You're still just second best. You're right. His power does exceed my own. But not for long. <laughs> the boy is crazy. He's a little punch drunk. One too many hits with a snake. Slave! I make my third wish. I wish to be an all-powerful genie! All right. Your wish is my command. Way to go, Al. And so there we have it. Jafar wants more. The pride in his life consumed him so much, he had to have more. He had to be sultan. Then that wasn't good enough. He had to be a, sor a sorcerer. And then Aladdin reminds them, like, hey, look, you know, you're still not the most powerful person in the world. The genie will always exist, and the genie will always be more powerful than you. And so Jafar, with the pride consuming his life, with his focus so much on what he doesn't have, says, fine, you're right. Genie, make me a genie. But he forgot that in order to be a genie, you have to completely be a genie. So he gets all the power in the world, but a little tiny itty bitty living space. And he ultimately gets captured and locked away. His pride led him to a place. I mean, you saw him. He turned into a snake. He, he, he was a completely different person than he was at the beginning of the movie. I mean, he was still evil at the beginning of the movie. Don't get me wrong. He wasn't like a nice guy, but he was completely distorted by the end. And it brought him to a place that he didn't recognize and ultimately was the very thing that was his downfall. And the same thing happens with Haman. Haman's no different. The pride in his life caused him to focus on everything that he didn't have. He hyper fixated on one man, Mordecai. He, he said it. 
I don't care about the riches. I don't care about the glory. As long as that one man, as long as Mordecai sits at the gate, none of this matters. He was so focused on wanting to kill Mordecai. He was so focused on wanting to kill all of the Jewish people. Nothing Haman had was good enough. His pride consumed him. He expected that he deserved everything that he was being given. And because this one man wasn't bowing down, he wanted to see that change. So if we go back to chapter five in Esther, we see when, when, when Haman is, is complaining to his wife and his friends uh, uh, about Mordecai, their response in verse 14, it says, so Haman's wife, Zeresh, and all his friends suggested, set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall, and in the morning, ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. And this pleased Haman, and he ordered the pole to be set up. Now, we're not getting into it because we're at the end of the message. We're not going to jump into a whole other message, but I could do a whole message about letting those around you influence you, right? Like that's what's happening here. His wife and his friends are influencing him. But Haman sets out on a course to execute Mordecai. He, he, he's going to execute Mordecai first, and then he's going to take out the Jewish people. But the, the key person that we've kind of left out of everything, right? I, I said at the beginning was Queen, Queen Esther, the niece of Mordecai. She, she learns what Haman's wanting to do. And so she puts a plan in place to stop Haman from accomplishing any of this. Ultimately invites them to a banquet where Haman's hoping to ask the king to, to execute Mordecai. But really, Queen Esther pulls the, 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 I can't remember the saying, but pulls the sheet out from under him and ultimately finds himself in a place that he wasn't expecting to be in because Queen Esther goes to the king first and says, this is the man that wants to kill my family. This is the man that wants to kill my people. And so if we jump to chapter seven, verse eight, it says in despair, he being Haman fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining just as the king was returning from the palace garden. The king exclaimed, will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. The king then says, then impale Haman on it, the king orders. So they impaled Haman on the very same pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger was subsided. Haman's pride, Haman's focus led him down a path. He had a plan, and it was that very same plan that became his undoing. He was so focused on on this one man that refused to bow down to him that he ended up bowing down to his niece. Mordecai's niece. That's when verse six, he's pleading with her saying, please don't, don't let this happen. Please. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. And then what we find by the end of that chapter is the king has said, you wanted to kill Mordecai on this pole that, 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 that you put in in your courtyard, you're going to be killed on the very same pole. Not only does Haman end up bowing to his family, but he ends up being executed in the very same method that he planned for, for, for Mordecai. Pride can lead us to places. Sin can lead us to places that we never expected. 
I, I've heard it said, and, and I, I say it often myself, sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you there longer than you want to stay, and it will make you pay far more than you ever want to pay. And as we close here this morning, as, as the band comes up, I, I, I want us to, to, to look at the lives of Jafar. Look at the lives of Haman. These are villains, right? Like, like we don't want to live anything like these villains. There, there, there should be nothing in us that's like, yeah, I, I think I want to live that way. And, and I don't think there is anything in our lives that make us think we want to live that way. But what I do know is sometimes we can let these little things come into our lives. We can let the absence of some little things come into our lives and it changes our focus. Rather than focusing on being all that we can be in line with Christ, in relationship with Christ, we start focusing on just the little tiny things that we don't have. Sometimes we let pride fester in our life because we expect things to be a certain way. Sometimes we let sin enter our lives in little ways to begin with that end up becoming greater and greater and greater. And we find ourselves in a place that we never expected. We find ourselves staying there far longer than expected and we end up paying far more than we ever plan on paying. But here's the beauty of life. Specifically, this is the beauty of God, the grace of God at play, is it's not too late. You see, regardless of where we're at in our journey with God, regardless of, of, of where we're at in our relationship with God, maybe you just gave your life to Christ today or last week or last month or last year. Maybe you just got baptized last week or you plan on getting baptized at, at a coming up baptism Sunday. Or maybe you've been a Christian your entire life. Regardless of where you're at, our stories are still being written. Our relationship with God is still growing, is still changing. You do not have to be the same way you entered this building. When you leave today, when you go back to your homes, you can be changed. You can be different. The pride in your life can get left here. The sin in your life can get left here. God can take that and free you from it. Too many of us are walking around with the shackles like the genie stuck to a lamp that we don't want to be stuck to because we refuse to let go of the things in our life. Because we want to focus on the things we don't have rather than that which God has given us. God has a plan for each and every person in this room, each and every person watching at every location or online. He's not done with anyone. And so I ask that, that you stand as, as, as we pray and get ready to worship one last time. We're believing that God is going to do something in our lives this morning. Through a, through a silly story like Aladdin, but a serious story like that of Haman. God shows us the power of sin in our lives, the power of pride in our lives, and just what happens when we don't focus on him. My prayer for every person across the churches is that God gives you the strength and the courage to focus on him above all else, that you thank him for what he's done, and that there's sin in your life, there's pride in your life. If, if, if there's something in your life that you need to lay down, we've got a prayer team that's ready for you. We've got people that want to pray for you. Our pastors want to meet you. We want to talk to you. 
And if you're here and you're like, I don't even know where to begin. It's as easy as just saying, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And the shackles, just at the end of Aladdin, when, when he frees Genie, the shackles will come off. And you won't be captured. You, you won't be held tight. You'll be free. True freedom. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. And I pray right now for every single person that hears my voice right now. God, I pray that as we pray to you, you show us the things in our lives that we need to give up, that, that we need to lay down. You show us the things in our lives, the sin in our lives, the pride in our lives that are shackling us and holding us back from completely following you. God, I pray, Lord, that you give us the strength and the courage not to focus on what we don't have, but to be content in that which we do. Lord, don't let us become a Jafar. Don't let us become a Haman. God, don't let us be, be so far gone from where we initially intended to be. God, if we're in this room and we're wandering right now or we're questioning right now, Lord, right now, meet us where we're at. Show us the path. Show us the truth. Give us the freedom that we're searching for, God, because we believe, Father, that you have so much in store for us and for this church. God, we thank you and we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.